asking our youth pastor, so are we dismissing any kids? Or it looks like the kids are kind of gone. There go the, rem the remnant are going. All right, there we go. There go the remnant. All right, hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. We're good. We're rolling. Beginning in verse 11. I'm going to read down to verse 16. Today's the second installment in a little series that I'm doing called Building the Body of Christ. And we're doing this to, the, uh, uh, to ramp up to the launch of our house gatherings in the North, Mid, and South County of Pinellas on February the 8th, Monday night, February the 8th. I'll mention a little bit more about that at the end. But um, I want to do just some refresher teaching. It's elemental, it's basic, but uh, sometimes we forget the basics and, and we want to be reminded, and that's what this is all about. Building up the body of Christ. And um, so if you're following along in your Bible, beginning in verse 11. And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, the people of God, to do the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes but rather speaking the truth in love we may all grow up in every way into him who is the head even Jesus Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Awesome. Praise the Lord. That is a, that's an appropriate use of the word awesome, often used to describe food and clothes and silly things like that. That truly is awesome, that God has chosen to not just save us with His grace, but grace is the power to be more. It's not just the uh, right to get away with stuff. It's, it's, it is the ability to be everything that God has called us to be. It's, it's not permission, it's power. Hallelujah. Um, but it's amazing that in His grace, He has not only stripped us of our sins and given us a new nature, but collectively brought us together and said, this is my body. When I have a mind from heaven to move, it's going to be through this body on the earth that I do that moving. That is really awesome thought. So let me just, by way of review from last week, just touch on a couple of points. That being, um, that being one in Jesus is being one with the body. If you're one with Jesus, if you claim to be one with Jesus, then you're one with the body. Um, you are saved, you are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. So oneness with Jesus equals oneness with the body. In 1 Corinthians 12, we mentioned last week how that it says between verse 12 and 14, For just as the human body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so too is Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. Let me just pause and add, that means that 
in God's economy or in His kingdom, you don't have the slave church and the free church, the Greek church and the Jewish church. I know that we see that upon the earth. But in the kingdom of God, there is the body. And though we were classified and segregated by our mutual interests, yet in Jesus Christ we have been brought together, bought by one blood, made one people, hallelujah, with one spirit, baptized into one body. Praise the Lord. And so he says, by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, for in fact the body is not a single member, but many. Now here's where I want to challenge you, as I challenged you last week before we get into our particular segment for today. God sees and He addresses Christians as functioning members of the body of Christ. When the Bible's written, it's written collectively to Christians assuming that they have received not just Jesus, but received their joining into the body of Christ. So He speaks to us collectively as individual members of a body. And so we're not just responsible to receive Jesus, we're responsible to build up the body of Christ. We're responsible not only for our relationship to the Lord, but we're responsible for our relationship to His body because we are one with Him in the body of Christ. For example, the message to the seven churches of Asia in the second and third chapter of the book of Revelation. Those messages to those Christians all begin and to the messenger of the church of Laodicea, to the messenger of the church of Ephesus. To the, so here God addresses the churches. When you read the epistles in the New Testament, all those letters that we like to study and read, they all begin to the church at, in Galatia, to the churches in Galatia, to the church of Ephesus, to the church of the uh, Ephesians, to the churches in Corinth. And so the epistles speak to Christians who are functioning members of churches. The entire New Testament either addresses churches or pastors of churches. The epistles that don't address churches address the pastors of the churches with instructions for the churches. So the reality is, is that there's no New Testament writing, neither the Gospels nor any of the epistles. There's no New Testament writing that addresses individual Christians living independent of the body of Christ. Every message of the Word of God is written to members of the body of Christ. So where does that put Christians who have disassociated themselves, don't consider themselves, nor practice any affiliation with the body of Christ? It is self-evident when you stand and take a look at how the New Testament is presented and that receiving Jesus enrolls us in His body and that He speaks to His body it becomes self-evident that God addresses Christians as members of the body of Christ through which He functions in the world. And if you can receive everything that God's Word says filtered through that idea that He is speaking to you as a member of the body of Christ that collectively and you're joining together with other members, the will of God is done. So that the will of God is done through our life as we in fellowship with one another, function together as the body of Christ. You can probably begin to see why we don't see the sort of fruit and power and manifestation going on today that was happening in chapter 2, 3, 4 and onwards in the book of Acts. 
when the believers really had a body of Christ mentality and functioned as the body of Christ. <clears throat> so, society has reduced functioning in Christ's body to going to church. But going to church is not functioning in the body of Christ. But Ephesians chapter 4, the scripture that I read to you from verse 11 down to verse 16, clearly describes the church as a body of function, accountability, and growth. And it speaks specifically of those things, all extending from Jesus. So if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that relationship is taking place in the context of our relationship to the, to the body of Christ. If we are functioning, if we are accountable, and if we are growing, we're accountable to the body of Christ. It's to the extent that people have difficulty affiliating and fellowshipping in the body of Christ, they're going to have difficulty in their walk with the Lord because the Lord is the head of the body. One of the ways, and this is what I want to get into today, one of the ways that the body builds itself up is to grow unified in faith and knowledge. The verse that I want to pluck out of our text that says that is we should, we have received the, that fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, so that we, the body, might be prepared and developed in order to do the work of the ministry and attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You are your most profitable you when you are presenting yourself to God through proper Bible study. I can't really put it any better than that. Um, most of you are aware in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 15, you hear it quoted quite a bit, but I want to quote it to you this morning. Listen carefully. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, everyone say approved. I'd like to be approved of. I'd like my actions to be approved of. I'd like to do things that God approves of. I'd like to say things that God approves of. I'd like to live in this world in a way that God approves of my life. And it's a, if God approves of it, then I know that it'll be a benefit to the world around me. So Paul writes, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Amen. So, the most profitable you, the one that you don't have to be ashamed of, the one that is approved of God, results from presenting yourself to God through proper Bible study. Rightly dividing the word of truth produces the you that does not need to be ashamed, the you that is making less blunders, swerving into less messes in your life. I love church, I love the body of Christ because we can come in and say, oh, I've been a mess this week. Thank God for His grace and mercy, and boy, I'll tell you, I never underestimate that. It's wonderful. It's just so awesome to come in after you've stumbled through a week, done dumb things, and uh, you just weren't your best you. In fact, you might be feeling a little ashamed of some of the goofy things that you've done or left undone that you should have done, whatever the case may be. Thank God for that grace. It's wonderful. It really is great. However, 
The body of Christ is a place where we don't have to just constantly and on a regular basis uh, walk in the forgiveness for having done dumb things or not being our best, but it is a place where we can rise up and become the best you. Profitable. Hallelujah. I want to be profitable, don't you? Not needing to be ashamed. And so that happens through proper Bible study, study of the Word of God. In fact, it says, rightly handling or rightly dividing the Word of Truth. In the original Greek language, the word dividing, you know what it means? Let's take a wild guess. Anyone want to take a shot at it? Greek scholars here this morning? No? Okay. Yep. Anybody with a cell phone can look it up real quick, but I'm going to beat you to it. Interpretation? Okay. Yeah, it's pretty good. You're thinking. I like that. Rightly dividing means to make a straight cut. Make a straight cut. In other words, he's saying to be your best self, present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who is making a straight cut with the word of truth. Look, if I'm going to have an operation, have some work on an artery or have an organ replaced, I don't want the doctor standing over me with a scalpel going, you know, I think it's over on the left side. But let's open them up and get a look and we'll just dig around in there and see if we can find it. I want him to make a straight cut because he knows right where it is. Straight cut. You see, you don't want to be a doctor who's had a lot of malpractice suits because you don't make straight cuts. You, you uh, kind of operate like a jigsaw puzzle. That would be a shame. And, and, and there are a lot of Christians. I, I knew a man, I'm not going to mention, but I knew a man many years ago. He used to always quote from the Franken Bible. He'd take a piece of this verse and a chunk of that verse and an idea from the Old Testament and a piece of a concept from the New Testament, sew them together and quote these verses that were just unbelievable. They were just amazing. And, you know, they were obviously from the book of Second Opinions, and that is the way many of us are. And I used to cringe because I thought, he, and I'm not putting down anyone who can't properly quote the Bible. You should learn to quote verses. Learn them and, and then be able to quote them. However, I'm not putting it down if you can't quote the Bible correctly. But what I am saying, it was a shame. And it is a shame to, to find Christians after so many years who don't have a handle on the Word of God. They don't make straight cuts. You see, in life, God wants you to use the Word of God to cut through the issues of life with a straight cut. The Word of God will give you that kind of accuracy, that kind of wisdom, that kind of knowledge that you won't just blunder into things and start tearing things up and you know, make an issue worse in your effort to try to solve the problem. And God will give you that kind of wisdom. Now, without that kind of wisdom, I'm the biggest blunder of them all. I have this big personality and I have this, you know, these natural characteristics that I seem to have come into the world with. And if I'm left to my own personality and characteristics and I go attacking problems or attacking issues, I could easily end up trampling over people and at the end of everything be wrong on top of it. Isn't that terrible? So God wants us to rightly divide. And Rightly dividing the word begins with corporate 
Bible teaching. Now, uh, what I want to do is I want to pull you in a particular direction. Anybody, and I hope everybody does, read their Bible and study the Bible at home in your personal life. That's very important. You shouldn't just open up your Bible when you come to church and the preacher says, open up your Bible. However, learning to rightly divide the word, the scripture says, begins by committing to teaching in the body of Christ. It was never God's plan that people got saved and that they all just go home and hang out you know, in their house with their Bible in front of the TV set and figure out on their own what everything means. The whole idea was that God would, would speak in the community of his body where he had installed and put teachers and put people that could share the word of God together and the truth of the word would emerge in the community of faith where Jesus was being honored and pursued by the body in love. A couple of verses just to think about that, that bring this idea out is that if you're really going to be a student of the Word, you need to get involved in Bible studies. You need to get involved in Bible teaching. You need to be part of public Bible learning. Praise the Lord. In your church, I'm talking about. Right. Amen. Uh, Acts chapter 2 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they didn't just get saved, fill the Holy Ghost, and then run home and say, Woo, I can't wait to read the Scriptures. Um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Later on in Acts chapter 5, it says, And daily in the temple they were in every house, and in the temple they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus. And in those days the number of the disciples was multiplied. So you could see they were gathering daily, and opening up the Word of God, and the te- those anointed to teach were teaching, and people were asking questions, and people were sharing their opinions, and the truth was carefully being lifted out of the Scriptures and explained so that everybody could learn together. Could you say amen? amen. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. There again, you see the idea of teaching is not just me sitting alone at home and uh, opening up my Bible and just extrapolating out of it whatever it means to me. But it is teaching and admonishing one another. The reason for teaching in the body of Christ is because of the purpose of the body of Christ. Remember our purpose. God gave teachers for our purpose. Let me read again our text. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip you to do the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Remember, the ministry is not one. The Bible says the body of Christ is not one member, but many. So one lone, unaffiliated Christian who's fed up with church and sitting at home and is not going to be a part or a, a participant in the body of Christ anymore is not the body of Christ. That's just one dude stewing in whatever, you know, their, their thing is and living off by themselves. They're really an anomaly because the Bible really doesn't address such a person. The Bible doesn't, doesn't reveal or show a, the lone wolf Christian who has nothing to do with the body of Christ. They really don't exist in Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean to say that they're not saved. That's not for me to say. That's for the Lord to say. And I wouldn't say that. I think there's, there's probably as many people outside of church that don't fellowship anywhere that are probably going to heaven. I don't know. God knows. But I wouldn't have any problem believing that. 
But that really isn't the issue, is it? The issue is when you receive Jesus, are you really receiving his purpose? You didn't just get saved so that you could miss hell and make heaven your home. God had a reason for you. You know, and I'm not suggesting that we're selfish, but you know, the Lord had a reason for saving you. Do we ever say, Lord, what was your reason for saving me? I'm just really glad, you know, that I've got, that I know the truth and, and that uh, heaven is my home. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But does God have a purpose in the world today? And if he has a purpose in the world today, how does he work that purpose? Is he just got a little hotline into every individual's house and magically, even though we have nothing to do with one another, we all sit home, watch the TV, and um, worship, you know, at the church by the springs under the inspiration of Pastor Sheets? No, but the truth is that we are collected together as the body of Christ. And so I feel obligation to tuck my Bible under my arm and march off to church to be part of the body of Christ when they gather together because I want to hear what the Spirit is saying to the body of Christ. I'm a member of the body of Christ. Why? Because I want to fulfill my purpose for getting saved. My reason for getting saved is more than just me going to heaven. I've got a lot of years left here on the earth and I want to live them in a meaningful way. God has a purpose for those years. I feel like the Lord purchased those years. He owns those years. Those are not just my years to do with what I want. And quite frankly, Jesus said in Matthew 6 at the Sermon on the Mount, you'd be much happier if you put his purposes first. All these other things will be added to you. But if I take the years of my life and just live them as a Christian and think of church as an obligation, that's a little added something. You know, the church should be happy I go there. And they probably are. You know, that's a wonderful thing. But that, again, that's not the body of Christ. That's church going. You see, the purpose for the body of Christ is because you and I, in pursuing Jesus, are pursuing our reason for being saved. My reason for being saved is that I'm living in a society and God's called me to integrate with other believers in my locale, in my neighborhood, in my area, and have a relationship where we could grow together, be accountable together, learn together, receive His grace together, come into unity together, and through whom God can function in our community. Somebody say praise the Lord if you're getting what I'm talking about. So that is the purpose. That is the purpose to which we were saved. And so the, uh, the reason why being a part of Bible teaching is important is not because you can't read your Bible at home or you can't learn However, uh, I've got to say that in the context of the body of Christ, the teaching is not just how you can prosper and how you can succeed as an individual Christian, but the greater purpose of how how God's mission can succeed through us collectively. And as long as Christians just keep uh, pursuing Uh, the message of how my life is enhanced and bettered and not going on and saying, how can I be a part of the body of Christ and fulfill what God has for me? Uh, We are going to see stunted, limited results, but the signs and the wonders and the miracles and the truly the move of the Holy Spirit is reserved for the body of Christ, not for individual Christians who don't have a vision collectively for the world. So the reason is to bring out the truth as it relates to the body of Christ and our mission. 
That's why we go to Bible study and teaching in church. Because when, that, when we gather together as the body and we teach and we learn, the message of being part of the body of Christ emerges. You're not going to sit at home unaffiliated and uncommitted and get that message. When you sit alone by yourself, unaffiliated, uncommitted, you're just looking for stuff that applies to you personally. My own situation. And, and by the way, Again, I'm not minimizing that. I spend a lot of time preaching and teaching on how individually we're blessed through our communion and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the 16th verse of Ephesians 4 says, the body builds itself up in love because of the strength in each individual part. But those individual parts come together. And that synergistic power as they work together in love and bring the strength of what the Lord's doing in your life together with what the strength of what the Lord's doing in your life and in my life comes together. That vision of what God has for us together will begin to emerge. How many of you remember the story in the Old Testament? It just occurred to me. It's not really in my notes, but I'm going to share it. How many of you remember the story in the Old Testament when the city was surrounded, God's people were starving to death. And the enemy, I don't know if it was the Midianites or who it was, had surrounded the city. And everyone in the city was starving. They were eating rats and horses and whatever they could find. And there were two or three, three lepers, I think. Or was it four? Three or four? Somebody help me out. Yeah, they went to the enemy camp. There was about three or four lepers outside of the city, up at the gates. Now, the enemy wouldn't attack them because they were lepers. But they wouldn't let him into the city either because even though they were dying, it's like, they're lepers. So these poor guys, they are really in bad shape. They're, they are camped out at the gates of the, of the castle of the city. And it might have been the city of Samaria, I'm not sure. But at any rate, the, the lepers eventually said to one another, you know, why sit we here till we die? Let's just go to the enemy's camp. And, uh, you know, if they kill us, then our misery is over with. But if they don't kill us, they'll feed us and we'll be better off than we are here. We're just dying to... Uh, this is where it relates to the body of Christ. As they're going to the enemy's camp, the Lord did one of his God things. And he let the sound of horses and chariots uh, ring in the ears of the enemies that had laid siege, to the, laid siege to the city. And they all got freaked out and ran away. So they ran, left their weapons, left their gold, left their silver, left their clothes, left the food, left the chicken, the barbecue, all cooking and everything. And when the three lepers came into the camp, they're looking around like, what? There's the macaroni and cheese sitting on the fire. There's the flan cooking. Hallelujah. There's, man, there's all the drinks sitting there. And these three guys... They just split up and separate, man. They start running from tent to tent. They come out, each time they come out of a tent, they got a crown on, they got jewelry on here, got a robe. These are lepers. And they, one's got a big turkey leg and grease hanging down. Hey, praise the Lord, I'll be seeing you in a minute. And they're going up, bulging pockets filled with money. And they're, man, they are partying. They're like, woohoo! We don't know what happened, but man, this is awesome. God did it. Did he not do it? God did it. Did they get the benefit? After their stomachs were full and bulging, they could not shove any more pulled pork in their mouth. They were just, they were all sitting. They all met together around one of the campfires and sat down and went, can you believe this? 
This is this is the Powerball or whatever. What what is it that they're the super the money big money thing whatever. They hit the jackpot and they're sitting there leaning back and just soaking it in. And then they start looking at one another. And you know what they said? They said, this is not good what we're doing. This is not good. Even though those people would not let us in. And we, you know, we're lepers. We had to live outside the gate. And if we go back there, they're probably still not going to let us in. Because we're lepers, even though we're rich lepers now. <laughs> but they're starving and they're probably dying while we're sitting here. We need to go back and tell them. You see, with that blessing of prosperity came the awareness a social conscience, you can call it whatever you want, add a conviction. God has done this so that we can share it with those that are dying. And the Bible says they got up and went back to the city gates and they convinced the people to come out. And those people came out, those dying people made their way into that camp and they received the blessing that God had provided. So I want you to understand that the reason we study the Bible together is, and collectively, is because there's a moment at which we have to come together and say, this is not good, what we're doing. Just taking for ourselves, while the, the city is still starving and people are dying, we need to go and let them know and share it. So I want you to um, consider the benefits of corporate Bible study. Now, we're going to begin our um, house gatherings on Monday night, the 8th of February, and they're going to go uh, every other, uh, twice a month. Is it the uh, second and fourth? Second and fourth Monday of each month. Um, consider the benefits. Second Peter 1, 2. Grace and peace. Everyone say grace and peace. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, grace, as I said, is God's power to be more. Peace is resting in Jesus' triumph. I want, a, I want some of that peace, don't you? I want that peace of the triumph of what Jesus has. I want to rest in it. Now, you, do already, you already have these. If you're saved, grace and peace is yours. You have grace and peace. You've got grace and peace in your life. But did you know it can multiply? Grace and peace, the power to be more, and resting in the triumph of Jesus can multiply. Could you use more grace and peace? Could, grace and, could you do with some multiplication of grace and peace in your life? Of course you can. So they've already been given to you, but they can multiply. How? How do they multiply? The Bible says, through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. The knowledge of God. Where do we get the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ? Where does that come from? The Bible says, through study, the Word of God. Now, anyone can sit at home and develop their own theology, their own opinions about the Bible, but they likely will not be rightly dividing. Nobody knows everything, but when we come together as the body of Christ, the ability to cut straight emerges because you've got the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. You've got people asking questions and seeking together. People who are pursuing Jesus collectively as the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit teaches the church. 
There is a kind of teaching that the Holy Spirit does in the body of Christ that causes straight cutting, rightly dividing. Praise the Lord. And that is how you get the knowledge of God. Teaching focuses you on the seeds of truth that God has planted in your life. When you get into Bible study and teaching, it focuses you on those seeds of truth that have been planted in you so they can grow. It's seeing, understanding, following. It's seeing the truth that reveals Jesus to you. When you see the truth, that's when you begin to see Jesus. Let me tell you, the more you see Jesus, the more grace and peace is multiplied in you. Let me say it again. The more you see Jesus, the more you have the knowledge of Him, the more you see grace and truth is multiplied. Now, the more you see or study yourself, stress and difficulty is multiplied. Isn't it? The more you see yourself and study yourself and get in touch with self, the more stress and difficulty is multiplied in your life. So if you would come and get yourself involved in Bible study, guess what? The truth that causes you to see Jesus would emerge in you. Grace and peace would begin to be multiplied. And instead of self-awareness producing stress, the new self in Christ awareness would arise in you and it would produce grace and peace. One of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 3.18, says it like this. All all of us, everyone say all of us. us. Notice what he's about to say is meant to be digested collectively. It's not written just to individuals. It's written to us collectively. All of us, as with an unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the Word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, all of us, we are collectively being transformed into His very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Where does that come? Where does it come where we are transformed from glory to glory? It comes to Christians who collectively, all of us, come before the Word of God and study in the Word of God. And then when you look in the mirror, you're not just seeing yourself, you're seeing Jesus emerging in self. Isn't that an awesome thing? Seeing Jesus in you. Now, lone, unaffiliated Christians often claim to follow Jesus without participating in any teaching in a church setting or in a Bible study, a home group setting, and they just, I know the Lord loves me, and I've got Him, and I've got His Bible, and everything's cool. And I know that they claim to follow Jesus that way. And again, I really can't judge that claim. But the one thing I can judge, the one thing I can tell you this morning, is if Jesus came to save a body, and when he saves individuals, he installs them in the body, and he makes us the body of Christ, why would he reveal what he's doing in the earth today through the body to somebody who's unaffiliated with the body? Did you get that question? Why would Jesus reveal himself and what he's doing in the earth today to somebody who has no connection to the body of Christ? Because what God's doing, he's doing through the body. When the Lord through the Holy Spirit reveals himself in the world today and what he's doing, he reveals it to people who are part of the body. 
They are learning and walking as part of the body. Remember what we said, that God addresses Christians as members of the body of Christ through which he functions in the world. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't follow anything you don't study. Think about it. I remember when I was in first grade, there was a piano in our, in our classroom. And uh, the teacher used to sit every day at the piano and s- play songs, and we'd all sing. First grade, it was wonderful. And I was just absolutely Chris mesmerized by that piano. I, I was like, wow, what? just hitting it with the hands and music coming out. So I went out to the teacher. I said, I can do that. <laughs> so I can play the piano. I can. I can play the piano. She said, you can? I said, I absolutely can. She said, class, <laughs> class. She said, I have a surprise. Tomorrow, Nick is going to play the piano for us. I was so excited. I was like, oh my God. My first concert. And um, I barely could sleep that night. I was so excited. I couldn't wait to go to school the next morning. I visualized myself playing the piano. See, I had seen her do it. So I knew I could do it. And so I just had the vision of her doing it, and I just superimposed myself. And then I saw me doing it. And I, that lasted, that stayed with me right up to the moment I sat on the bench and put my hands on those keys. And you want to see, I'll tell you, such a transformation so quick. My excitement and joy. See, I totally believed music was going to stream through my hands as I, and I went, and the most horrible noises. And the more I did this, guess what? The Bible says a workman needing not to be ashamed. I wanted to, I did, in fact, slither off that piano bench almost in tears. Almost at the point of tears. I felt so humiliated. I didn't know that I would not be able to play the piano. So let me say to you again, you cannot follow what you don't study. You can say, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, but if you don't study his word, you're not following him. In fact, you don't see him as you need to see him. He reveals himself through the study of his word. And he reveals himself accurately. The Bible says rightly dividing. Anyone can say, well, I read my Bible, but they carve people up with it all the time. Zigzag, you know, what, what's that? Those, that, you know, uh, terrible movie. Whatever. I, I probably shouldn't even bring it up. but it's uh, So at any rate, there are many believers. They've got their own Bible, their own way of reading it, and they're out there cutting life to bits and anybody who happens to fall into the focal range of their ministry. But in the body of Christ, we learn to cut straight. Learn to cut straight. Uh, two closing thoughts. Um, number one, Bible study is an outreach. Think of Bible study as an outreach. When we begin on the 8th and you go to your... Your, um, your house gathering and the portion of time you spend in that house gathering studying the Word together wants you to remember that Bible study, whether it's in church or in a house gathering of some kind, is an outreach. It's an outreach. It's not just you learning and growing, but it's a, it's a way to reach out to other people. Self-help and guidance is a multi-billion dollar business in our world today unbelievable amounts of money are spent on people seeking answers. The lost people of the world want answers, and they're looking for them. 
And that is a natural opening for a church to present the truth. That's where you and I ought to be engaging unsaved people, lost people out there, and compelling them to come in. Saying, you know, there's this house gathering that I'm a part of, and we study the Word. Would you like to come? See, a lot of, you know, sometimes people have got to, I know it's, it's hard to believe it, sometimes people have an attitude about church. Um, and I'm not going to comment on that. There's reasons for that. But the thing is, a lot of times people will come, if they're your friend or coworker, you can get them to come to a Bible study. If you'd be bold enough to ask them, say, hey, we're going to get together, study the Bible, you want to come? There's going to be some food there. <laughs> Whatever you need to do. But if you get unbelievers in where they can actually talk about and ask questions the Word of God and have it shared, they'll begin to see, wow, there's an answer. They're seeking answers. And if you don't reach them with the Word of God, I guarantee you the devil's got people out there reaching them with ideas. So that's one thought. The second thought is that Satan wants people's minds. Keep in mind, the devil wants people's minds. He wants to keep your thoughts negative so that he can keep you defeated. The battleground for the soul is in the mind. And as long as people believe wrong, they live wrong. So studying the Word of God causes Jesus to be emerged. A lot of people think they're following Jesus, and they're not following Jesus. They're following some Jesus of their own imagination. But when you know the truth, Jesus said, the truth will make you free. When you see in the Word of God the real Jesus, and you receive Him according to the Word of God, you'll be made free, and the devil won't be able to control your life. But the devil wants to keep people thinking wrong and negative thoughts. And as long as they think wrong, they're going to live defeated. So it's an outreach. It's an outreach. Praise the Lord. You know, the devil cannot defeat the life of a believer who studies and follows the truth of God's Word. So I really want to encourage you. As I close, I just want to put a little advertisement out there for the house gatherings. Our house gatherings have four basic purposes. One is to develop your ministry, to develop the ministry platform of Faith Christian Church in those house gatherings. You can come here Sunday after Sunday, but the, that the ministry that God has for you and what He wants to do in your life may never emerge and come to light just coming on Sunday morning and listening to messages, as wonderful as they may be. Um, the second purpose for our house gatherings is for follow-up and discipleship of newly saved people. It's, it is nearly impossible to disciple people just bringing them into a Sunday service and having them come Sunday after Sunday. Babies need care. You don't take your newborn and they don't put them in the nursery, the newborn nursery, and then throw a jar of whatever Gerber in there and says, well, when you get hungry, there's the food. So discipleship needs to happen in those house, house gatherings where there's that hands-on and one-on-one fellowship. And you, we can get intimately involved with one another. Can you say amen? The third reason is to assist newly saved people to reach out to their family and friends. It's really through the house gatherings that if you've got family members and friends that you'd like to share the Lord with but you don't know how to talk to them, Especially if you're a young Christian, you probably don't know how to approach them. What do I say? But if you're involved in a house gathering, there's probably people there who can help you. Maybe go and visit your friend with you 
and, and uh, go and talk with your friends with you or help guide you and share with you what you can say to them. So it's, it's an ability to be built up so that you can reach out. And then finally, intercessory prayer, visiting members and praying one for another. In that intimate setting, in the north, mid, and south county, as we open these first three house gatherings, we'll really be able to reach out in all those areas and praying for people that are getting involved. Um, in the north part of the county, uh, Terry and Helen Burchard are going to be opening their home, and there's going to be a house gathering there. And Their assistant leaders are going to be John and Barbara Wilkes, and he's going to begin, they're going to begin their teaching on the subject of the cross of Jesus and how it changes and secures and empowers our lives. And when he gets up and shares one of these next few weeks, a few minutes, he'll tell you a little bit about it. In Mid-County, Jesse and Aubrey Trimble are going to be leading a house gathering meeting along with our youth pastor and his wife, Antonio and Kaylee. And um, their first topic that they're going to be studying in their house gathering is the exchanged life, how Jesus indwells you and makes you his home and transforms your life. Sounds good to me. Praise the Lord. Sounds wonderful. And then Chris and Giselle Dunn down in northern St. Pete, along with Jim and Jerry Humschild as their assistants, um, they're going to begin kind of a twofold, twofold focus on intercessory prayer and then how to present and defend the gospel in our modern culture. Wow. Uh, I'd like to go and hear some of that. Praise the Lord. I think we could all use that. So in the next few weeks, you're going to hear more from them about what's going to be happening in their house gatherings. And hopefully they're coming around and talking to you and trying to pull you in. Don't give in too easily. Because these guys are desperate for members. You know, just wait until they pull, go for their wallet. They may offer you five or ten bucks or, you know, free food or something. Hold out. But whatever you do, come February the 8th, be at one of our house gatherings. Be a part of it. Look, I'm going to close and I'm going to say this to you. Some believers have gotten into a habit of just being distant and unaffiliated. And you may have very, quote, good reasons. Uh, there may have been things that have happened. Maybe, maybe you just drift, drifted out of tolerance, if you will, with the body of Christ. But whatever those reasons are, it's time to get an update from the Lord. It's time for an update. God is moving on, and He hasn't changed His mind about what the body of Christ is. And so if you're out of tolerance, if, if you haven't made being committed to the body of Christ a priority in your life, now's the time. Get that straightened out. Get dealt with in your mind whatever it is that's held you back and make a fresh commitment. I'm going to get involved and be involved. If there are things in your personality and your character and your personal life and you just say, I'm, I'm awkward around people, well, boy, you need to be in there because you'll just be a bunch, among a whole bunch of awkward people. You're, you're about to meet some real friends. Hallelujah. Um, you know, this is not a social club. This is not where we get together and we try to figure out who's the coolest among us or who's, you know, the best talker. Our whole house gathering leaders, hopefully, and I believe they will, they'll be exercising genuine, loving, godly leadership. So they're not going to let these groups become about 
being dominated by one personality or another, but truly let it be the body of Christ where the Holy Spirit's moving and the Lord's honoring. It's, it's, I'm just going to, you know, uh, Chris and Jesse are here. Terry is, and Helen are out of town. So I'll say this to them. Terry and Helen can hear it on the, uh, hear it on the MP3 version of the message. Let me just say to you, it's lonely driving the bus. Everybody sitting in the back shooting spit wads at the back of your head saying, you should have done that. I, didn't, I would have handled that differently. Um, but you do have the wheel. And so you have to be a leader. You can't sit back, just let the bus roll down the street. You've got to take the lead. And you've got to show that leadership, not just in teaching, but in ministering and reaching out and dealing with people. So uh, the house gatherings are going to be a place of accountability and growth. Hallelujah. And I just urge you all to find your place in there and be a part of it. Let's stand together. So let me ask you today before we close with a blessing. Did anybody see Bible study in a a new aspect to it or see something new today regarding studying the Word of God that maybe you hadn't seen quite that way before? Anybody? Seen a little differently? Good, about half of them. That's great. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The next, the other half can advance to the next level. <laughs> Glory to God. All right, I want you to just lift up your hands unto the Lord. Prepare to be blessed. May the Lord cause His glory, His grace, and His overwhelming love to shine upon you. May His countenance fill you so that through your face His renewing love and spirit may shine. May your heart be filled with His love. May your soul rest in His grace. And as you step out into this world this week, may the Holy Spirit go before you, preparing your way, lifting up in you help should things become difficult. Remember the Lord. He is with you. Let Him carry you. Let Him lead you. Be blessed. Walk in health. Be prosperous. And share His love as you go. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said? Great is.